Hello friends and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts, or as uh, my good friend Eddie uh, calls it, I just talked to him on the phone before this, I said I can only talk to him for a couple minutes because I was recording the podcast and he said, oh, you're doing that blue collar blue shirts thing. And I was like, yep, pretty much. Um, so Joe is not here with us. Instead, I have Shayna from Blue Shirt Banner and The Athletic and a bunch of fancy things like that. Say hi to the lovely people, Shayna. Hi. Shayna is sick and therefore self-conscious about her voice, but she's a trooper. <laughs> so she's, uh, she's on board for the show this week, which is extra nice because there's been one Rangers game. Just and one. Was, and it had a very nice thing happen, which was Kako scored his first NHL goal, which was hooray for that. Uh, but the game itself was a goddamn travesty. Um, but before we get into that, I was going to just kind of talk about leading into that game and where things stand. Um, you know, we've had a little more time to digest that very surprising Vlad Nemeshnikov trade, which I still consider to be um, mystifying, uh, is one way to put it. Although I'm sure it was a change of scenery request on Vlad's part. And uh, for those who don't know, Nemestikov's off to a pretty strong start in Ottawa. So that's fun. Big difference when you're playing, uh, you know, minutes. Yeah, and there was a, a story leading into that Ottawa game where uh, I think it was Larry Brooks talking to David Quinn about, you know, with Nemestikov gone, might that open up an opportunity for second line center to either Leah Sanderson or Brett Howden? And today for banter, I wrote a little something. You know, we don't want to get too worked up about a three-game sample size, but uh, Leah Sanderson has just not been getting ice time pretty much. Um, he's playing over two minutes of shorthanded ice time each game, which is really interesting. But looking at his overall ice time, it's just really low. It's uh, it's under nine minutes a game right now, I believe. So it's that's been a pattern. You know, we look for those patterns early in the season and, you know, those things like you know, which guys are scoring goals, which guys are on the ice when there are goals scored against. Um, it should come as no one's to surprise, really, that D'Angelo and Mark Stahl have been on the ice for the most five-on-five five goals against. Uh, they're the pair that's also been together the most often, I believe. So that's not terribly surprising, especially because that's kind of what we uh, expected was going to happen with Stahl and D'Angelo in that pair. But it's, uh, Shana, let's talk, what should we do? Talk about the game, or just talk about Capo Caco's goal and how nice that was. Should we talk about a nice thing or a horrible thing? Should we start bad and make our way to good? Yeah, start bad and and work our way up to good. So right. so you guys know what's coming, so don't, <laughs> don't hang up. Yeah, Not hang, yet. Hang in there. Um, so heading into the game, I was just talking to Shana before the show, and I was really interested what this was going to look like because the Rangers have really been leaning on that top line and uh, both the Oilers and the Rangers were have been pretty rough in terms of the shot share at five on five um, but both teams have been you know kind of punching above their weight in terms of their record even though for the Rangers it was just a 2-0 and record for Edmonton it was a little more robust um, they're now Jesus they're undefeated right they're now they're 5-0 and are they five and zero? Oh? Yeah, I think they're the only, they're the only ones left because the Canes lost to Columbus, uh, which that yeah. was a very good game. Gotta say, Columbus impressed me. But yeah, Edmonton. Yeah, I Columbus is the team where I have no idea what they're going to be just because they're so different. But I the Canes are going to be so good. 
and they look yeah. good. But can God. we before we go to the Rangers? Can we talk yeah. about bad teams for a second? Let's talk about bad teams. Let's talk about bad teams. I got two in mind. First of all, who fucking broke the Dallas Stars? What yeah, happened? I don't. I don't know. I I picked Dallas to make it come out of the West. <laughs> so did you really? Uh, yeah, I'm. I was all on board for Pavelski and fucking the full season of healthy Ben Bishop and Hints. Hints is good. Yeah, Rupe Hints looked so good in the playoffs. I was like, ah, you know, they lost Zuccarello, they gained Pavelski. That should have like taken their power play very high up a notch. Although it's interesting because Hints kind of knocked Radulov off the first unit, and I I really do like seeing him with Ben and Sagan. Yeah, that has been very weird that they deconstructed what was one of the best lines in hockey last season in Dallas yeah. uh, just to kind of spread the wealth which is an understandable strategy but when you're 1-5-1 and one, and you have a negative 10 goal differential in 10 games it might be time to go back to what was working <laughs> yeah it, and I know like they retried it it's, it's weird though because you look at the stars and like everything they did over the last two years like you look at it and you'd be like they signed a lot of older players and they're going to be very good right now and last year they ended up being very good, and this year, not the case. And so their window is not is not very big because they went for a lot of older players, and those contracts are going to be a thing. Yeah, they and, did. Yeah. So. And yeah, meanwhile, yeah. Anaheim is four two and zero. Oh, so. John Gibson. Yeah. This... The John Gibson Ducks. But I, we need to rescue John Gibson. We really do. Henrik should go in and be like, "Sup, I feel you." But the other team really bad. And coincidentally, it's another NCAA coach, former NCAA coach, is uh, the Devils. Yeah. That was good. They were up 4-1 today and lost 6-4. Yeah, things have gone very haywire for the Devils. Um, It's been, they were one of those teams where I know people were really hyped up about their offseason moves because in many ways it kind of echoed with the Rangers. You know, they had the big trade with to get Subban, they of course got Jack Hughes, they signed, you know, they signed Wayne Simmons, and then, you know, the other really biggest addition was a healthy Taylor Hall, and of course, yeah, exactly, Gusev, so it's like, wow, this is, this is fun, and the Devils were, you know, a really good team, you know, once upon a time, and Corey Schneider looks like he was figuring it out, and then they're 0-4-2, so... And what do you do at that point? Yeah. Like, you'd look at last year's team, and obviously they had their weaknesses, and goaltending was a very big problem for them last year. But it's like, you got them so many pieces on defense and forwards. Like, you... And they weren't little depth moves. Like, for the most part, they brought in big pieces. Like, now what yeah, do you they do? Spent, do you all of a sudden say we need more spent talent? spent a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They could still use more talent. There's no yeah, question that's that, that one. you know, it's still not the deepest of teams. What do you do? Coaching change? I know a lot of people are talking about that. Like, is, well, that, I, is that what you do? Do you just yeah. need to slow down? I know Devils like, fans. Yeah. I heard Devils fans. I went to a game or two last season at the Prudential Center, and I heard Devils fans chirping about Heinz last year. So I'm not surprised that that's kind of come around full cir- circle again uh, because you look at all the moves they made and. You know, there's a couple little things to sprinkle in here, which is to say, in my opinion, like, Simmons is kind of a one-dimensional player. I think Subban's a little mm-hmm. overrated. Um, you know, they have a lot of yeah, guys who... Yeah, the rough year last year. Yeah, a lot of guys who kind of punch above their... punched, you know, punch above their weight sometimes. Guys like Miles Wood, who 
you know, I'm like, you know, what exactly is Miles Wood? I'm still not entirely sure. Uh, you know, Nico Heischer, I think people need to be patient with him. And he's not getting and I think he got enough hurt today. patience. As I think he, he left the game with injury today, too. So that's another kick yeah, in the ass. It's brutal. Yeah, just a lot they of They definitely need time to gel, but yeah. yeah. And But this is, anyway. you've talked about how, you know, the window for Dallas. Taylor Hall has one year left, Shayna. And then how do you how do you Sammy Bottom, if you're having yeah yeah same thing how Sammy Bottom one year Wayne right Simmons now. one year you have to convince him to Simmons oh right, right Simmons one year but how do you say like turn around tail home and be like extend with this please it's your first chance as unrestricted free agency stay with all of this that's kind of like put the pin in free agency talks and you know yeah. it wouldn't be the first time a team was like let's make changes off the ice to try to get a free agent stay. I mean, the Islanders did that. They were like, okay, new general manager in, we got to change things, new coach in, we got to change things, and maybe this, it wasn't just for that, but obviously they thought that could help keep Tavares, and that, you know, it's like something you do. If it's your star, you got to do whatever it takes to make both of them happy, and your team competitive, if you're going to pay him and he's going to get paid, you want your team to be competitive in that window that he's paid. Yeah, that is... It's fascinating to me because a lot of people have really compared the Rangers and Devils directly in terms of what happened in the offseason, but the Rangers' moves are all long-term, whereas like the Devils could have whatever they did to accelerate their own rebuild kind of spoiled in a hurry um, if things go the wrong way. Like The Rangers are, you know, they're pot committed to Panarin and Truba, and, you know, they have Fox for, you know, his dirt cheap contract, his entry-level contract, and, you know, it's really, the Rangers only are in a better position two years from now in terms of contracts because of who they have coming off the books. The big question, of course, is the Chris Kreider question, but kind of either way, that's something that was known before heading into the offseason, whereas the Devils made these moves where it seemed like they were trying to convince Taylor Hall and the fan base, like, we're spending money. We just brought in a guy who's making $9 million a year with P.K. Subban. You know, we're... We're all in, and uh, not the start they wanted to see, um, which, I don't know, maybe helps put the Rangers getting their ass handed to them by Edmonton into perspective a little bit. Yeah, uh, it kind of sets know. us up since it's their next game, too. Think about it. That's next true. game's against the Devils. Like, here you go. You got Rangers and Devils content right there. Know your opponent. Yeah, and, you know, the Rangers... I think a lot of people were on the hype train after the first two games and, you know, back-to-back four-point games from Mika Zibanejad. I get it. It's fun. Uh, it was really brutal to have to wait that long for this game against the Oilers, uh, an afternoon game, which always feels weird, especially in October. It feels weird. Uh, but we have the first goal of the game with Capo Caco. Uh, we'll get back to that, I think, when we want to talk about nice things. And then... Uh, some bad things happened. Uh, the Rangers really just kind of got their asses handed to them for the most part. Uh, bomb scored in the second. Uh, McDavid scored on the power play in the third. Dreisaitl scored uh, a pair of goals, and uh, you know one of the, one of which I believe that was the empty netter. Um, and yeah, so it was. It got out of hand in a hurry, and the. Like, I think the, what is it, the shot total was not that crazy. The Rangers did only manage 21 shots in the game, which is not great, um, especially for a team that had that much rest. And, you know, I know some people might say, oh, they were rusty because of that, but they just didn't look good. 
And one of the things that was most interesting to me, Shana, was uh, the way the ice time broke down, uh, specifically for the Rangers. And the thing that you can't help but notice, um, you know, especially like just in terms of looking at the, you know, all situations ice time, you had Jacob Truba played 2440. Uh, which is like a playoff ice time. But we know that they're going to put the weight of the defense on Truba. And then Panarin and Zibanejad both had over 23 minutes of ice time. So it's really clear that David Quinn is just leaning on that top line. And maybe that was just part of the case here is he knows he can kind of get away with it because of the, this kind of quirky schedule. And, you know, the, the guys will have enough rest and all, all of that. But I was really not thrilled when Leah Sanderson finished with seven minutes and 16 seconds of ice time and uh, you know I I want to understand what the plan is for Leah Sanderson moving forward uh, especially because Vlad Domestikov gets moved away and you think to yourself okay well that opens up opportunity in ice time right for for Leah and probably for Brett Howden too and then we don't see that. Maybe, of course, this is just a one-game sample size after that Nemesnikov trade. But I wonder how long we'll see this kind of over-dependence on the top line and if it'll be something that continues when the Rangers have, for instance, when they're back in action Thursday, Friday. I believe it's, you know, they have back-to-back games. So is Quinn going to do it then again? Um, he might. I think... We did see a bit when it was Kreider, Zuccarello, Zbanjad, and that line was rolling him depend on his top line. And it's interesting because, like, really before Quinn uh, under Vigneault, you could look at it like the top line never got that overwhelming ice time. You know, you'd see Mika Zbanjad around 17 minutes maybe, same with Kreider, and it, it's not that much. Last year was a big jump, and Zbanjad was able to run with it. That I think it kind of gives him the green light that he can lean on him a bit more, and he should more than you know, the minutes they were getting before Quinn was here. I think your top line should play the the most minutes. Just mm. don't run them into the ground. A back-to-back situation, especially being the first of the year after barely playing, might not be the time to load up. But maybe in particular it was because they were playing Edmonton, who obviously has a stacked first line with McDavid. And uh, speaking of that line, super interesting to me that the pair that was it seemed intentionally matched against them with Stahl D'Angelo. Now, I'm not going to sit here and rip on Stahl to start the season because while I think that there are there there are going to be glaring weaknesses in his game, and at that at a certain point, you kind of just have to accept it is what it is, as long as they manage him accordingly and get him a partner who can skate a little bit better. Although there were some miscommunications between the two of them in the last game where you saw D'Angelo pinching up the ice and he needed to be a little bit more aware. That was something I know most of us would complain about with the Holden stall pair, Holden pinching and stall not being able to get back. Yeah. Obviously you want a mobile defender with stall. So someone that is going to pinch is fine, but it just, you need a little bit more communication between them. And I don't know if you play that risky if you're playing Connor McDavid when you match against him. But not a great idea. <laughs> no, no. And, and you saw it. You know, numerous times, the shots, they got a lot of shots off the Oilers with that pair on the ice. They also got a lot of quality chances with them on the ice, and not nearly as many four. And there were so many near-goal opportunities that it's going to be tough for any defenseman to defend against Connor McDavid from now until probably the end of his career. And we know that. 
it's tough for anyone to defend against Ovechkin. Even though you know exactly where he's going to stand, it's tough to defend against a guy like Philip Forsberg even because he's a deceptive shot. You don't know when he's going to get it off and that it's just going to whip past you. Like, I understand yeah. that. The, the top players are tough. However, if you're at home and you are trying to have the matchup, I question why it's that one. If you think it's because Stahl's the most seasoned guy here and he's calm and he is the one that can like steer the ship and I get that idea... And you look at it, you could have gone Shea Fox, but maybe they're not as suited for it, which I think I'd agree with. And then you have Hayek Truba, which is essentially two new guys who have played two games with you. You have Hayek who, well, I'm sorry, Hayek played a couple more, but, you know. Hayek struggled in his first game. He still needs to work on his puck control a little bit more, and there's still some gaps that you can see in his game that throwing him against McDavid might be tough. Truba, it's his first year in the Rangers system. Throwing him against McDavid might be tough. However... I do wonder if they would have fared a little bit better. And you can see, based on the minutes, you know, True was receiving. He had 24 minutes, which is quite a lot. And even if you just break it down to five-on-five ice time, he still played 17-24. You know, maybe yeah. you would think if this is the guy you think can take the lion's share of minutes, he could have handled those matchups a little bit better than instead of trying to have a beast all D'Angelo. And we know D'Angelo isn't the best defender either. Um, yeah, that's that's the that has been interesting. Like that's something I think, you know, I know a lot of people. There's a fun question I always ask myself, which is when does a small sample size become a sample size? Like when do we say, uh-huh. all right, like is this is this something that we can call a trend? And I feel like you know once we get around the ten game area, it's like all right, we can start understanding what's going on, right? I yeah, and yeah. you know, arguably you could do it even before then, um, especially when you consider like you know if we look at let's say the month of October. And then we have a good sample size there. And, you know, it's, it's just in terms of their relative shot share, Stahl and D'Angelo are negative 9.85 compared to the rest of the defense, which is, you know, that comes, I think, with playing, you know, in that role of you have to try and stop the top line. But the other thing that is a little alarming to me is the Rangers have played the Jets, the Senators, and the Oilers. Like... This is not, it's, the schedule has not exactly been tough um, in terms of, you know, the Oilers for the most part are a one-line team. Uh, the Senators are just not, you know, they're probably the worst team in the league. You can say it. Yeah, you can say it. Go ahead. Go in. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Winnipeg has just an utterly decimated defense that helped the Rangers exploit that team and and come away with what felt like a somewhat unlikely win although it was also a revealing game yeah that offense was able to exploit the rangers defense right back uh which was like i remember that game where it was like oh the rangers scored oh jet scored 15 seconds later that happened like three times in that game um which goes to show that's like a we may win but we may die yeah (laughs) and that's why very on brand yeah, I know there's a couple people I did the, the five questions with Copper and Blue before the game. Uh, the SB Nation blog for the Oilers and a couple people on Banter were surprised that I said the Rangers are not going to be a playoff team. And uh, I just don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I think a lot of injuries need to happen in the Metropolitan Division for that to happen. And we're already kind of on the way to that happening, but I still think it's just way too hard. I think... It's in all likelihood, I think two teams from the Atlantic take the two wild card spots in the East. I just didn't think the Atlantic is that much better right now. There's too much chaos and rebuilding going on with some of the teams that, 
used to be, you know, fringe playoff teams or thinking about being playoff teams in the Metro. And, you know, it's only three games, so whatever. But for other teams, it's six games, five games. And it is what it is. But you know what, Shana? I want to talk about some more details. But first, let's let's have a message from one of our lovely sponsors. Sponsor? I tell you what, that sponsor was pretty great. Um, Amazing. I prefer that sponsor over uh, one of their competitors, let's just say. I'm not going to name any specific <laughs> competitors. That would I be rude. I prefer them over the competitor. Yeah, you don't want to be rude. I mean, who knows? Maybe that other sponsor, other person, might the competitor might become a sponsor one day. I wouldn't want to burn that bridge. Unless, of course, yep. they're, they're a sponsor for burning bridges, in which case... Are those the sort of businesses we want to work yeah. with? Um, let's let's talk about some Leah Sanderson, Shana. Do you want to get us started about sweet little Leas? Yeah. So we we're talking about that Oiler game, and uh, if you look at look at some of the numbers, uh, the Rangers you you mentioned they only took twenty one shots and they only had forty one attempts. They allowed sixty one. Hmm? Not great. Not great. So if you adjust it. <laughs> We just for score and venue, just to balance things out, look at only five on five, and uh, Oilers took 71% of the shot share. Not good. Yeah. And seven, they were expected to score 73% of the, you know, of the goals. Not good. And uh, we can look to see how it trended as the game flow. Not good. None of it. So Yeah. If not for Lundqvist, that game would have been yeah. a lot. It would have been a debacle instead of just a really rough game. It really only came off as a rough game, but Hank made about half a dozen holy shit saves, as per usual, even at the age of 37, and uh, it could have been a nightmare. Instead, he kept the team in the game, and you know the Rangers actually, you know, the Oilers didn't tie the game until the second period, and but holy hell, like just saying saying those numbers, it's. I know it's one game, and some people might be like, "Ah, you're overreacting." Well, this is a team that had a a full week break and had you know all the time in the world to game plan for this Oilers team, and they just showed up flat as hell, and they got their asses handed to them. And uh, and not only that, if you look at it as a continuation of last season, and obviously it's a different team than last year. Um, mm. This isn't anything new. Them falling short in terms of the underlying numbers, you know, it's been it, it's been that way for a while, and you know, I don't expect it to be that much different. But uh, I think if you can try to fix it, you do. And I think that there's a there are ways to work on it that aren't being done. Um, with this group of six defenders, there's there's only so far we they can go, and we we've all talked about that this group can only be so good defensively because you have Shea who can, you know, do a little of each. You have Fox who's more offensive. You have D'Angelo who's more offensive. You have Truba who can do anything you want him to do. Um, Hayek is not very offensive. And then you have Stahl who, I mean, besides game one, isn't super offensive either. So in theory it sounds balanced, but even the defenders who are more defensively slanted aren't necessarily great at that either so um maybe they consider mixing in brendan smith a little bit more or really you need more from your forward group you need your forwards to be a little bit tighter 
defensively too, unless uh, the offense besides the top line is going to be that overwhelming that who cares about defense because you're scoring so many damn goals, which, I mean, it's chaotic, but I would be all for it. If you had at least three scoring lines and they were still shit defensively, but were just that fiery offensively, so be it. You know, that, that could be fun and that could work somewhat. Yeah. But I would say you need to tweak the forward lines to ensure they're a better team on both ends of the ice, which you're not getting. You're getting one very good offensive line. You're getting one that's had its moments, you know, with a certain player's goal that we'll get to. And uh, you have three lines that could all be better. The fourth line in particular, and this was the case before Greg McCagg came into the lineup and with them, they've been the better line in terms of allowing shots against and allowing chances against. And while they don't necessarily produce as much, and I guess that's going to be a consequence of having Brendan Smith as a forward. And honestly, I have no, I don't have many issues with this play right now, and I'm not criticizing it, but it's just a limit that he has. Um, mm. He doesn't have the hands of maybe a player that you could have on that fourth line instead if maybe Nemesnikov was there or Lemieux or something like that. So really, you have to balance your lines. That second line needs a better center that is more of a two-way player, player, and I think that helps Kreider out more. I think Kreider pairs best with the two-way center, like he did with Derek Stepan and like he did with Mika Zibanejad, and Ryan Strom is not that. And I'm not here to just tear down Ryan Strom, but the fact of the matter is he's not a defensive center. Or no, even, he doesn't even really qualify as a two-way center. So that's that's a problem there. And that's why I think the Nemeslikov trade, I get the salary implications, but maybe they should have waited on it because he could have played yeah, that especially role. especially given what the return was. It right. seemed like something you very much could have afforded to wait on. Yeah, um, you, you sold low. Imagine if sold they... Sold very low. Maybe. Yeah, they could have upped his return and helped their team. But so the player that stands out to me for a nice time boost is Leah Sanderson. And even if you're just going to give that fourth line, I don't know, nine, ten minutes a game instead of five, six, seven, you know, Leah Sanderson had five minutes last game at five on five and I think McKegg was at uh seven and Smith almost hit eight that's that's not enough for your fourth line to be even especially when that's your only line that's that defensively reliable each game the Lemieux Howden Foss line is fine and I guess if you have Jesper Foss on your line you'll always be okay but they have to do something to tighten up and maybe that means you give the line that's doing better defensively a couple extra minutes a game to see if it can help, or you break them up a little bit more and try to filter it forward, whether it means putting Strom lower in the lineup and giving Anderson a boost, or maybe Howden, they feel, gets the boost first. I, I don't know, but I feel like they have to do something to tighten up. Yeah, there's it's it's funny how many questions we, we come away with, you know, after three games in the season, but there are just a lot of... You know, the Rangers have really just made a lot of decisions that have inspired questions, you know, starting with Heedle in the AHL and, of course, the Nemestikov trade. And, you know, you could also, in many ways, you know, something I'm very curious about is comparing this year's defense to last year's defense and specifically reaching a better understanding about what Shattenkirk did and what he offered um, as opposed to you know, what the range, the situation the Rangers find themselves in now, um, you know, where essentially they are down Shattenkirk and Pionk, um, and they have Truba and Fox, and of course, you know, there's Hayek 
and of course you know Clayson's out of the picture and McQuaid's out of the picture and you know it takes it's going to take a while for this defense to to develop especially because there are two rookies on this blue line and like you mentioned there are a lot of guys who are you know pretty one-dimensional Hayek in terms of defensively and Fox and D'Angelo in terms of offensively and you know, uh, it's not ever the intention for this to be the drag Mark Stahl podcast, but we all know what Mark Stahl's limitations are at this stage in his career. And, you know, he's viewed in a way where he's expected to be that shutdown guy, and he doesn't always, you know, come out of that smelling like roses. And that's, you know, this part of the tough job uh, that he has. And having him paired with D'Angelo is going to cause problems, just like Stahl Holden caused problems, as you mentioned. But it's, there's a lot to kind of glean here from just three games, and it is a small sample size. I'm sure there are some of our listeners who are like, oh, you know, overreacting about this or that. But the second line center thing has become the biggest storyline out of camp and really in the first couple of weeks of the season because you have Ryan Strom, who, as you mentioned, is really not, you really can't consider him a two way center, let alone, you know, a defensively a depth center. And so the options become, you know, is it, does it end up on Leas's plate or Brett Howden's plate? Because after them, it's, if it's not Philip Heedle, the question becomes, okay, well, who will it be? And if you just trade it away, probably who, in my opinion, was the better option over Strom. If you, if you weren't going to give it to Heedle, I would have much rather given it to Vlad Domestikov, uh, just because I feel like he's a much more balanced player. He's better away from the puck, better in the neutral zone, and, you know, it's, the Rangers decided to sell low, um, not sure why, but now we find them ourselves in this situation where, you know, for the time being, I guess, we're going to have, you know, this Michael Haley is the continued 13th forward scratch, and, you know, we have Greg McKegg who hardly got a sniff of the ice. You know, I know that McKegg has played center before, but he's not second-line center material. And really, you're left with, like, all right, if we didn't trust Filipino to the second-line center, we're going to give it to a different kid, and which kid will it be? And I feel like, all, all things considered, I would much rather it be Leas Anderson for a litany of reasons. Um, one of which is really just to get him ice time, and two is because, like you mentioned, I think he would do better... Uh, playing with Capocacco and Kreider because those guys, you know, are a little more eyes locked on the opposition's net as opposed to worrying about the full 200-foot game. And I think Brett Howden has shown, uh, despite the way he's been deployed at times, that he is not the most, you know, defensively sound player, which, you know, I still hold out faith that he might develop into that player. He's just nowhere near that right now. And for the time being, he's been getting more ice time than Leah Sanderson, for whatever that's worth. Uh, you know, it was the case last year. It's, you know, the case in three games this year. But, yeah, you know what? I want to talk about a nice thing, Shana. Can we can we talk about Capocacco's goal, please? Yes. Yeah. It's just, I'm just thinking about the second line center thing. And it's just, it, it, I've been working all day. And I just want to talk about a nice goal. <laughs> so the Rangers was. did score first. They did score first yeah, in that game. And uh, it was a very wholesome moment. Um, you know, with with Capo Caco and his acne-riddled face. Oh, uh, come on. No, listen, that is not a judgment on him. That is just, he's a little baby boy. That's all that is. It's just okay. speaking truths. I'm bald. That's, That's just true. Fair. It's, 
I have white hair in my beard at the age of 33. That's just I crazy. have random white hairs, too, and I'm not 30. Yeah, I started getting random white hairs in my mid-20s in my beard and hair. I was not... I was like, really with this? Yeah, and I heard if you pull it out, seven new ones grow in their place. I don't know if it's true or not, and I feel like that's such a specific rule. But that so feels I like a something from the old country. You know like, what? I didn't want to risk it and all of a sudden have chunks of white hair, so I was like, fuck it. They're there. You know, some and people I just rock the over. white hair, though. Just saying. Um, you could probably walk ro- rock white hair. Like You already do like the color streak in your hair. Just imagine yeah. it being white. Yeah. I'll, uh, Remember like uh, Rogue from the X-Men animated mm-hmm. series? And she had that big white streak going on? Yeah, I'm not you, that cool, you, though. You could probably do that. Not that just cool. Saying. I feel like it would make me look old. Rogue didn't look old, though. You just have to talk in a southern accent and yeah. wear, like, what is it, like a a leather jacket that goes down to your midriff and, like, a full weird bodysuit? I would do that. What the hell was Rogue's outfit? Oh, you know what? It was all based on the fact that she couldn't touch people, so she had to be completely covered up. Mm-hmm. Yet they also were trying to sex her up, so they made it, like, a Lycra form-fitting suit. <laughs> I see what you're doing. Fox Kids TV. I see you. <laughs> Trying to influence young prepubescent minds with yeah, right. form-fitting Lycra suits. Um, hey, anyway, Kako Goal. <laughs> so, uh, actually, you know what? We've, we crapped a little bit on Ryan Schoen, but he made a great backhand I was just going to say, his pass was very nice and, yeah. Very nice. And so very is nice. Kako coming up the ice with the puck. You know, he he's someone... When he has the puck on his stick, you have to watch him. You know, there was, I think it was a point in this game, he got knocked down. It didn't even matter. He still corralled the puck in and was like, nope, still mine. I don't care. Knock me down all you want. Uh, I'm still possessing it. And I think that he's such a possession hound. It's such uh, an important aspect of his game, and it it helped him here. Um, But Strom, Strom's pass to him was really nice. And uh, I think Brendan Smith got him the puck. Very important to do. Yeah, I love seeing that crap. Like I like Kreider with uh, Truba's first goal. Like he's hugged Truba, and then he immediately motioned to the to the ref or the linesman, just you know, like give me that, give me. Um, and like I love seeing that stuff. It just you can't help, you know, even as no matter how objective you are, you can't help but get happy for those moments. The, like the expression on Kako's face, you could tell it was oh, it was it, pure you know, joy, pure elation, and you know. It was it was one of those things. If if he didn't score his first goal for five or ten games, I st- I'm like I would have been like, listen, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it's very nice to get that first one out of the way, and yeah. it was it was a beauty too. It's not like one that went off of his ass and into the net. Although you know, okay, there's nothing wrong with a buck goal. Yeah, they all count. But you're right. No, you're ass. right. You're definitely right. And it it was at home. That that's also good. Yeah, it made a it made for a brutal loss that much more tolerable, which is very much appreciated. Um, are you at all surprised? You know, Shane, I'm, I'll throw a, I'll throw a curveball at you for no reason at all. Um, okay, you're, my trust, you. you're one of my best friends, and I'll just put you on the spot for no reason whatsoever. Um, are you at all surprised that sweet little Capo Caco has just four shots in three games? I'm a bit surprised because um, very good at possessing the puck, and I would think, yeah. and he's not afraid to shoot it, so... I would think that he'd have more, but I guess it's the fact that that line in general hasn't been working the way we all hoped. I know 
when we thought it would be Heedle in the middle, that was a line a lot of us were like very much looking forward to. And I guess that's why I won't be surprised if there is a change from the top line. And um, by no means is it a knock to his play, but I won't be surprised if like Buchnevich ends up being moved down to line two to better work with Kreider and yeah. uh, Strom because they, they could use a playmaker there. And uh, Kaku move up to line one, so he has a playmaker, he has a shooter, and he can do everything in between, so it would give him a little more balance and a little a little more of a jump in his step. Yeah, um, just let him be a free-range little butterfly boy. Yeah, he, or if they, give him a, if they give him a better defensive center, maybe they'll have more possession of the puck and more offensive zone time, and then we could see him shoot it a little bit more. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I he's I feel like he's one of those guys like all the you know, all the time we spent, you know, you can't help but look closely at, you know, young prospects numbers and so obviously this is the most highly touted Rangers prospect in either of our lifetimes. Um, so you look at what this kid is doing and I feel like everyone's gonna be looking at the box score every night and trying to understand like, all right, well what's his coursey? What's you know, how many penalties is he drawing, you know, and this side or the other. I think he's, you know, taken five hits and only thrown one hit and, you know, it's not that he's not physical, it's just a sort of different physicality. And I feel like something that we're going to learn as observers and analysts and, you know, something Rangers fans are going to are going to learn is really, you really just have to wait for this kid to adjust a little bit. That adjustment period is still taking place. You know, he, he only had a little bit of action in the preseason. Uh, you know, he was so fun to watch. Uh, when he, you know, one really like sick and tired, and he just took over that one game in Traverse City, and you know, got everyone buzzing and excited, and uh, it's awesome. But it's going to take a little bit of time, and that's fine. I'm excited for what that first goal means, just because I hope it was a little bit of weight off his shoulders. Because not only is it great for his career, but it's going to be a lot nicer if the Rangers have two lines instead of one line this season. <laughs> um, because I, I am increasingly skeptical about what happens with that bottom six. And uh, increasingly skeptical about that second line center as we've talked about. But yeah, it was a great goal. Beautiful goal. He took a good slash. Still scored. Made it look easy. And pure relation. And I'm, ho- I'm hoping the first of many, many more. Um, what else, what else was there to really dig into, Shayna? From I mean, we just had the one game. Yeah, maybe when they play more. That's true. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about Greg McKegg? <laughs> I mean, he was fine. Yeah, he was fine. I didn't really notice him. I mean, that's not a shot against Greg McKegg. He, you know, he didn't play very much. Uh, I mean, it's not a bad is, thing either. If it's a fourth yeah. liner, you don't notice them. It's better than yeah, like... Yeah, it's kind of his job is to, to not be noticed. Um, you know, just to don't be a liability, essentially, especially if your ice time is that limited. Something I think is going to be, you know, obviously when, you know, you're playing, you know, I think Buchnevich had 21 and a half minutes in all situations. So if you have your top line is playing everyone's over 20 minutes, there's like the ice time, the, whatever's left of the pizza pie gets smaller for everyone else. Like someone's yep. getting that that shitty thin slice and that's going to be Greg McKegg some nights. But the what is most interesting to me is the ice time of like guys like Lemieux and like Ryan Strom and like Leas Anderson and finding a way to get and for that instance, I should also mention Brett Howden. Finding a way to get those kids that need to develop the ice time. 
um, because I'm just I'm, I'm of the opinion that seven and a quarter minutes of ice time in all situations is not going to help Leah Sanderson develop, and it's not going to help the optics for a team that invested so much in this kid, and it's it's not going to help the team. Um, on the ice. They need to find a way to get him ice time, is the long story short there. And I think finding him that ice time on the penalty kill is interesting. Like I mentioned, I wrote about my piece today. They It's averaging over two minutes of shorthanded ice time a game, and that's interesting that they're trusting him with that. That's great, but I that can't be a replacement for letting him play five-on-five five hockey. I, he needs to develop. He needs the shifts. He needs the ice time. And I think playing him with, you know, a veteran like Chris Kreider would do him a lot of good. Having, like, a line mate who's going to give him noogies at the end of every good shift is what sweet little Leah Sanderson needs, in my opinion. We all need Chris Kreider noogies in our life, really. Just saying. All right, well, you know what? I think Shana is going to join us for our Off the Post in our mailbag. uh, But before I get there, I have to read some, some names, Shana. That's part of the part of the thing here. I have to make sure I have the right names in front of me. But if I miss anyone this week, uh, it's because I have the wrong thing in front of me and I'm just a bad person. I guess we'll go with that. Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Alexander Thornton. See, I had to click your name because it was hidden from my eyes. Andre Shikagov, Andy from New Jersey, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Chris B, Chris Abibi, Chris O'Connor, Craig Lachlan, Dan Carosi, Danny Santiago, uh, Dan's Lynch, Darwin Bushman, David L. Singer, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, Grumpy Smokey, Igor Soslovsky, James Dangles, Jeffrey Stein, Jermaine Francis, Johnny Olo, Jordan Sissoen, Joshua Zarkin, Keith Franchillo, Manny from SC, Michael Canick, Michael Scott, Michael Silvers, Mike Offit. I call that the Mike Block. Nicholas Forlenza, Sammy Volga Seidenberg, Scott Potash, Stephanie Benvengo. And this is the, our new Norwegian friend, Shana. I know you told me before the show you didn't get a chance to listen to last week. Mm-hmm. We have a new Norwegian patron. Wow. And I, I know I'm not saying his name right, but here we go. Stig Bjorbak. Thank you to Stig Bjorbak. Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, the Tin Man, Thomas Osa, Toy for Manhattan, Trevor Kepner, WMM339, and Zachary Zetlin. Thank you all. Uh, if I missed any patrons this week, it's just because... I, uh, I read from the wrong list, and I'm, I'm bad at my job. But uh, hopefully I'll do better on the next show. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.